Welcome back to The Hum and the Holler. This is the podcast where you can follow along with all the images and spells in your 2021 calendar from us, Abacus Corvus, and hang out with the artists who are us, Abacus Corvus, <laughs> sisters <laughs> Joe and Karina, and we will be taking you through the year, month by month, looking at the images and energy and spells as we live them together with you. And we are so grateful already to have 23 Patreon supporters, with this being only our second episode. So we love you. We thank you. You are delightful. And our apologies to those uh, not on Patreon who tried to access our first episode on a platform that uh, was not Spotify. <laughs> it went up to Spotify right away, and then there was a lag in distribution that we didn't anticipate when we made the announcement. So we apologize for that premature announcement, but we should be accessible across all the platforms that you know and love now. And shoot us an email at abacuscorvus at gmail.com just in case you can't find us. But if you're listening to this, you probably have. <laughs> um, you know, we're making this uh, mainly because our joy and inspiration and delightful arguments happen so much in the conversations that we have about our process. And we want to share more of that with you and let, um, the, let the calendar and our process together, just live a little bit more and breathe a little bit more in our conversations. In addition to this podcast, we're also offering a look into the astrology of each month from new moon to new moon. And that's called the hum you will find it on the same feed as this podcast just a few days later. And if you're on Patreon, you'll get a bonus episode each month that is an audio recording of the meditation that Joe writes on the blog each month. And that one's called The Hush. One thing that's different about this year's calendar is that each spell is part of a larger story that makes a kind of riddle. And as we take you through these spells month by month on this podcast, we'll be looking not only at their particular messages, but also at where we are in working through this riddle. So, Joe, where are we right now? We are one step in from the beginning of this year and from this riddle. Last month, we met the Lynx, who is the secret keeper, you know, the guardian at the edge of the doorway as we're walking into this year, as we're walking through this process that we're taking together that is, um, as of yet, very mysterious. A hush holds is the riddle that we were given. What does that even mean? And what is it holding? Um, and how do I even get into a hush? And so this next step is the hum and the holler. And and it is by nature a little confusing because we're right here at the beginning of a riddle. We don't know a lot about it yet. And the the message that's coming to us in this month and in this image is showing us that maybe this first step is to learn how to make a distinction between um, the hum and the holler or the implicit and the explicit. And so this month and, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about what is the hum? What is the holler? And how do we learn how to lean into the things that are harder to hear, the things that are with us all the time? And, um, and what is there in that for us <laughs> is one way to think about it. So now we're going to look at the image itself and talk through what we see. And you're welcome to look along with us 
on your um, on your own calendar or on our website or wherever you see the image. Or if you want, you can close your eyes and just let it be story time. Karina, do you want to tell us a bit about the story of what you see? I would love to. So what we're looking at when we look at this painting is there is a crow's face, fairly large in the lower left of the composition. Um, the crow is angling its head in a way that looks like listening. Um, wherever ears are on birds are kind of pointed upward and the crow's mouth is closed and all of the crow's feathers are kind of glistening and distinct. There's a very crisp, um, clear quality to how the crow is painted. And then the sky behind the crow is very washy, pale, has some aqua and some sort of creamy, rosy, beige colorings, like faint clouds. And the watercolor effect on the background is very soft. Uh, there's a lot of paper showing through. There's a lot of kind of lightness. And then the other characters in this story are three moths. There is one in front of the crow, kind of um, on the shoulder, one behind the crow's head, and then one flying off into the clouds. And each of these three moths is kind of of the like brown, papery, common variety of moth, but each of them also has distinct markings and, and is an individual in a certain way. And so I want to take you through those moths. And um, Joe has the scientific names and sort of status of each of them. So to begin with, the first moth that we see closest to us that is on the crow's shoulder. Joe, you want to tell us which one this is? Yes, that one is Heliophobus reticulata. And that is the um, bordered Gothic moth who is currently endangered. They are, they are in a bit of a scary spot in the world these days. Thank you. And then the moth behind the head. That one was such a beast to paint. Let me tell you that. Um, <laughs> so the, this little beast uh, is the Menduca occulta, which is the occult sphinx moth. And at present, this moth is doing okay. It is not on the endangered list. It is not even at the on the kind of at-risk moths list. I love this one so much. Mm -hmm. The name and the markings. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just realized that we made a sphinx moth in a calendar about riddles. <laughs> and, you know, when we were doing the first take of recording this even, um, Joe really wanted to say sphinxy little lynxy yes. about the lynx that yes. plays the sphinx role. And so um, I just want to call out, a we got a sphinx here. We have a sphinxy little mothy. Uh, it doesn't rhyme, but it's exactly. true. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Um, and then the final moth that's that's fading off in the distance. Oh, did you have something else, Joe? Oh, just how many things in life don't rhyme but are true. You know, that's just like that's a condition. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the deep tragedies of our existence. Yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. I've been ad libbing a lot of songs for my little baby, and sometimes the things that rhyme just aren't true, and the things that are true just don't rhyme. Um, anyway. I digress into yeah. <laughs> uh, a different mode, actually, you know, we're, we're kind of bopping back and forth. But this moth um, was such, this painting this moth was like a spiritual experience. And I didn't actually realize when I was painting it 
Um, if you're looking at the image, you can tell. And if not, I'll just, I'll just let you know that this one is just a little less distinct. It's a little bit more of a wash. Uh, it's paler. And you can see more of the underwing as it's flying away and the body and its little tiny delicate legs. It's just got a different quality to it, a little otherworldly. And this one, who is Oriah musculosa, otherwise known as the Brighton Wainscot, Wainscot? Brighton Wainscot moth, um, this one is gone from our world. This one is extinct already. Oh, that's rough. I know. I know. Sometimes we make these spells that are heartbreaking for us, even as we're making them. And again, as we're talking about them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this image tells me when we add in all that detail about the moths, which is why I wanted to bring that all in, because it was such a core part of the process of making not only the spell, but the whole calendar, um, is that the image is about listening to the things that are not loud, are not coming through loudly. And so if we think about the ways that climate change is affecting the world, there are much louder versions of it, which are the hurricanes, the droughts, uh, the melting ice caps. And then this is a much quieter version, which is that in the insect world, especially among moth species, we're just losing vast quantities of not only entire species going extinct, but just fewer numbers all the time of of the um, the individuals themselves. And so in this calendar, we use these moths as our messengers throughout. Um, so you'll see them showing up again in other spells. And when they show up, we know that we are being asked to listen to the smaller voices, the subtler voices, what is hidden, what is not obvious. Let's talk about the words in the spell and how to work with them. So this month, what we wrote in the blog was just so perfect that we're going to read you a few paragraphs to bring you deeper into exploring what is the hum and what is the holler. So Joe, you want to start us off? Sure do. Here we go. From last month's hush, we're moving now to the art of listening. Imagine you're outside on a spring morning listening to the world. You notice loud calls from crow and jay, the high shriek of a hawk. They are like bright colors painted over interlacing melodies of songbirds, crickets, and frogs, and all of that dancing on the drone of bees, thoughts, and hummingbird wings. When we listen to our friends, to the news, to the world, there are always at least a few stories happening at once the holler and the hum, the text and the subtext, the occasion of what's happening and the feelings that imbue it. This month, we are noticing what hollers and leaning into the hum. Advertisements holler at us all the time, filling our minds with a hum of insecurity. Our nervous systems hum along until a shock makes them holler with an echo that can rattle us for years. Right now, the hollering pain of the world is so many voices raised for so long, it turns into a hum if you try to hear it all at once. The hum is what is buried, shy, hidden, subtle, 
and all the time. It asks us to pause, to hunt for it, to look under what is noticeable, to see what's taken for granted. The holler is a moment, an outburst, the obvious. It's bright red lipstick, hunger pains, a gunshot, a downpour, a chorus of uproarious laughter. Unlike a holler, it's often hard to locate the source of the hum. Leaning into the hum is a huge part of the practice of listening. We don't know what we will hear. Mm, that's the riddle. There it is. I just, that is the riddle right there. So this is the first step. What is the difference between the hum and the holler? How do we sort them out? Mm -hmm. And Joe, there's just one more part of the blog. We didn't read this part out loud, but in working with the spell, you wrote something that I found so fascinating that I just wanted to ask you to expand on, which is that you wrote that hearing is a modified form of touch and listening is profoundly relational. And I know that sound vibrations and like touch have something to do with each other, but that just seems to me like one of those moments where I'm like, my sister's a genius, but what are you talking about? Do you want to tell us <laughs> sure. what does that mean exactly? Um, I, in this case, I wish it was me just being a genius. It's, it's actually something that blew my mind from an amazing book that I read. Um, by It's a book called The Seventh Dragon, The Riddle of Equal Temperament by Anita T. Sullivan. And it's a tiny little magical book. And in it, the, the book is about uh, piano tuning. She's a piano tuner and she is basically, it's basically like the, um, what is it called? The, the, the Zen of motorcycle maintenance. You know, this is kind of like the Zen of, uh, piano tuning. And it's, it's also just an, um, it's like an ode to listening and to what, what listening actually is. And in it, she talks about how hearing, um, actually, we evolved hearing as as a refinement and a modification off of already having a sense of touch, right? So animals in their environment had had an idea through their sense organs of where they were in the world, what they were coming into contact with, and what to avoid and what to go towards, and and all of those things. And and somewhere along that magical evolutionary process, those sense organs refined into receiving sound as essentially as touch. So, so listening is being touched by sound and that's relational, you know, that's just, that's so amazing. It's so beautiful. That's so amazing. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I love that. I'm so glad I asked you that. <laughs> Whew. Okay. So Joe, I want to play a game with you. Oh, to help us get underneath the riddle of um, what is the hum? How do we listen to the hum? We have mm -hmm. heard a lot about how the hum is the subtext. It is the part that's quieter than the holler. It is relational. And I'm wondering if we can and start naming some concrete things. That'd be great, you know, because it's also pervasive. That's the thing about the hum is that it's both right, subtle exactly. and yet it's touching everything usually. It's just like, it's there and you don't even see it because it's just, you know, it's like the, um, the air we breathe or the, you know, the, the ocean and the fish thing. Oh, actually that the was one thing. The ocean and the fish thing. 
<laughs> One of the things that came uh-huh. to me when I was writing the meditation was that ocean and wave is like one kind of interesting way to think about the holler and the hum, right? Mm. Where a holler it can be some like a wave that takes a distinct form for a, for a certain amount of time mm. and then it recedes back into the ocean, the, the, the bigger hum, right? That's one way that I would say, what is a hum? It's the ocean and not so the So you're wave. already playing the game. Yes. Yes. Is that how we do it? We just go back and forth? That was my first one. I you think go we're now. just going to go back and forth. What's a hum? Okay. Yours is the ocean. Um, well, I want to go back to the painting and talk about how the crow's voice is a holler, and it's not vocal in this painting, but the beating of the moth's wings is a hum. And so in the example we were talking about with climate change, the loss of so many small species and individuals is a hum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, your turn. Okay, bring my it, turn. Bring it relational for us. Yeah. Uh, relational? How, how about the um, where the violence, the everyday, every second of everyday violence of racism is a holler? Um, white supremacy and whiteness is the hum. It is just the thing that is uh, humming along building everything as it goes and denying itself as it goes. And, and really um, you can be a white person who really wants to look at their whiteness and look at white supremacy, but whiteness does not want to look at whiteness and white supremacy does not want to look at white supremacy. So it is, it is a, it is a hum uh, with a, with a powerful invisibility to it. And I think that I love the way that you brought up the the violence that is visible and is a spectacle as the oh. holler because yeah. it's really easy for for white people to see the death of uh, so many black people at the hands of the police and to see each one of those as a holler. Here is the crisis. Here is mm-hmm. here is the thing that needs my attention. And to ignore as you so beautifully put exactly. the hum of the entire you know, multi-century system of whiteness as a form of privilege and power that makes those moments um, pop up as visible when the rest isn't. Right. And and to, right. Like whiteness is like to look at those things as though they're anomalies is like, Oh God, I can't believe this one thing happened when that's actually the entire narrative that is playing its course from the beginning of America throughout, no matter how many black presidents we have or vice presidents, whatever, like that's just the hum that's going. That is this engine that the American engines hum. Yeah. And beyond America, but and definitely America. from where we are, it's, it's easy to see it here. And I just love, okay. I just want to come back to the, <laughs> like you nailed it. So I want to come back to the ocean and uh-huh. say that, if you are swimming in an ocean of white supremacy, um, at a certain point, it makes sense to stop being shocked by the waves, to stop mm-hmm. noticing each wave as though it is unrelated to the wave that came before it and the wave that will come next. Right. And so in working with the hum, I think it's worth remembering that we're still at the beginning of solving this riddle and yeah. that starting to listen to the hum is one of the very first steps. And so in this context where where we've drawn the analogy to white supremacy, um, learning to pay attention to what is invisible, um, what it has been comfortable to not look at, what does not announce itself as loudly is one of the first steps of, of solving the riddle of this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Do you have more hums? I have more hums. I've got a whole list of more hums. You have more hums? Oh my, just go for it because you're killing it. Okay. Um, you know, one of the other hums that I also just need to name Sonia Renee Taylor right now because she is popping up in my in my field as I'm talking about this because I just read her amazing book, The Body is Not an Apology, in which she um, painstakingly and just brilliantly takes you through the hum of, what does she call it? The, um, the, body, sh- the body shame profit complex or, but I can't, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's essentially saying that like, there's a hum of body shaming in our culture. There's a hum of feeling absolutely terrible about who you are, why you are, what you are, and that it drives our consumer culture. It makes it so that you are paying money to learn how to be well, when in fact, and this gets a little layered, but if there's a hum of insecurity and body shame going on, um, this is something Karina's said before that I'm that I want to give her credit for, but is so brilliant. That if if you're in that hum, if you're in the hum of body shame, what you actually want to be going down into and sinking into is the hum of just who you are, like the hum of your of your nervous system working, of your heart beating, of your lungs working, of this magic that is just being in a body. Um, and and that, that your body's hum and your body's needs are actually uh, way more delicious to be paying attention to than the hum of body shame. I'm glad that you brought in that distinction between the kind of hum that is sort of insidious and predatory you know, the hum of shame, the hum of white supremacy, and name that there's also another kind of hum, which is the hum of homeostasis, the hum of wellness, the hum of being embodied, being able to rest and digest. So now we are going to share some rituals with you about how to work with this spell in your days and in your moments a little bit more intentionally. And Karina and I have different ways of, of thinking about these things. And we're, we're both really into each other's, but I'm, I'm often so grateful for her difference and, and how she thinks about things. So I'm, I'm very excited to introduce to you my sister Karina and her brilliant ritual ideas. Oh gosh, please. So I have two ritual ideas for working with a spell this month. They both have to do with listening to the hum. And one of them is kind of like language nerdy. And then the other one is kind of like witchy nerdy. So if you are like me and you are both a language nerd and a witchy nerd, you're going to love both of these. And otherwise, you know, take your pick. So the first one is a little bit of a writing game. And what I want you to do is to find a text somewhere that is emotionally activating for you. It could be a news headline and maybe the first paragraph of the article. It could be an email from someone that maybe has a lot of emotional content for you. Whatever it is, I want you to print this out or write it out in such a way that you can start erasing words. And I want you to erase the words that are the most activating. And as you do this, I want you to start rereading this text until you start to hear a different rhythm in it. If you want to get really creative with it, you can rearrange the words, you can make a poem out of them, you can maybe even free associate and add different words. And what's key here is just to remember that 
you are not listening to the original text itself anymore, but you are listening to your response that is underneath the initial emotional activation. So you start with the emotional activation, the holler, and then you find out what is, what is your response to that holler? What is underneath it? So this is one way of getting at that through language and through sort of tricking the conscious brain into giving you new thoughts. And then the other ritual I have is a lot more about relationship to your lived environment. So if you are like me and you're living uh, in kind of a lockdown situation still, still fairly quarantined, not out in the world much, um, you are probably more surrounded on a daily basis by your familiar objects than by your dearest loved ones. And I want this listening exercise to just acknowledge and lean into the relationships you have with the things that support you, with the things that are beloved to you. Maybe this is your favorite quilt or a beautiful ceramic face someone made for you or a hat that you wear every day. Just something that is dear to you, that is in your world, that you touch and use regularly. And I want you to practice being with this uh, beloved familiar thing and just attuning yourself to it. Begin by noticing how is it showing up right now? Does it seem... Um, any particular way to you. You can imagine, if you're not super witchy, you can just imagine that it has some kind of life in it, some kind of sentience, a way of showing up that's different day to day. And even on a literal level, this could be true. Uh, if you're working with, you know, your favorite blanket, does it need washing? Does it have lint on it? Does it need mending? Do you want to wrap yourself in it? What is the uh, information that you get when you just start listening? And so that's the game. Just spend maybe a few minutes, do this with maybe a few objects, and notice how much various hollers try to get in the way. That's really just the game. And Joe, do you want to take us to your ritual idea? Sure. Um, I've just been listening to Karina and closing my eyes and wondering how the hell I'm going to put this into words for you guys. <laughs> and I think I figured it out. Um. So the, when, what I've been doing is thinking about the hum as the tensional patterns in our body, right? That they are the things that kind of keep us going from day to day, the charge that we hold in our muscles. These muscles are basically being told day after day after day that we need them in a moment's notice. So please don't ever turn off. That's basically how the nervous system works with these muscles. And so there's this hum of muscular tension and, and on one side you can say, oh gosh, wouldn't it be nice to just relax all of those muscles and relax that tension. And on the other side, there's this recognition that this tension is keeping, um, keeping you functional in the world and you're going to keep drawing from it, um, day after day after day in order to do the things that you need to do with your body. And so the ritual that I'm imagining is probably just a pretty gooey kind of meditational space where, where maybe the hum that you're getting into is a bit of an altered state by, by sinking into your body. If this is something that you do, not everybody gets off on this thing and I totally understand, but if you are into sinking into your body, um, imagine that the, that the tensional patterns in your body make 
sound. And what, what comes to mind is like, um, the idea sometimes that like celestial bodies make sound that it, that there's a sound to, um, orbiting planets and, and just these things that are totally outside of the range of human hearing. But what we're doing with this practice is leaning into, can I listen for something that I don't usually hear? And so what happens when you start listening to your body and the shape that it's taking with the tension that it's in, is there actually some beauty to it? Is there music to it? And is there movement to it? Is there a way that you can actually start relating to your body as an instrument that you're playing or that you're playing with rather than just this like drone of some sort of mechanical engine of this body that does work, right? So so maybe taking it out of an idea of this body does work for me and a little bit more into the hum of the, of the art that your body is. And if that makes sense to you, have at it. If not, just know that that was my best shot at putting something very <laughs> somatic into language. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's a wrap for podcast number two. Thank you so much for uh, listening in with us and going on this path with us. Uh, it's really fun. And uh, to close, we are going to tell you some things and I'm going to start. I want you guys to know that we both sold out of calendars and then are no longer sold out of calendars. It's a magic thing that happens every February where we get things returned to us from retailers. So if you've been trying to find that calendar on Etsy and have been upset that it's not there, uh, one, two more weeks and we will have them back in stock. One, two more weeks? One or two more weeks. And... You can keep up with what we are up to and important announcements like the previous one about getting new calendars if you follow us on Instagram at Abacus Corvus, which is A-B-A-C-U-S-C-O-R-V-U-S, or visit our website abacuscorvus.com. Also, a heads up that our next episode about the astro weather uh, that starts with February's new moon will be up on February 11th. That is called The Hum, so look for it on Patreon or across all the platforms. And please, 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 if you have a moment, please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Um, that helps us a bunch as beginners. And if you want ad-free uh, and early access, you can follow us on Patreon. You'll also get my meditation each month. Whew, okay. Um, Joe, do we have a clever ending yet? I mean, what would that even be? Mm -hmm.